the cannabis industry is evolving at a radical pace, progressing toward the green peak. Each week, join Richard Zwicky, a cannabis visionary and entrepreneur, as he interviews experts from around the globe to discuss updates and evolutions in the world of cannabis. Let's make that climb together up the, the green, green peak. peak with your host, Richard Zwicky. Hi, everybody. I'm Richard Zwicky with The Green Peak, and joining us today is Brent Zettel from Zias Life Sciences. And Brent, you've uh, you've had a phenomenal career in the uh, medical cannabis industry, and uh, you joined us about nine months ago on the show when you talked a bit about your history and as a pioneer. And today, you know, nine months later, Zias, uh, which is your, I'll still call it your new company relative to everything else, has uh, been forging some really interesting paths through the phytotherapeutic uh, aspects of um, cannabinoid and cannabinoid-based medicine. Um, I know you've had some really interesting news and releases lately. Do you want to bring us up to date on what's been going on over at Zias? Sure. Thanks, Richard. Yeah, we have added to our team in terms of uh, uh, our new VP of HR, Irene Poloskini, and uh, Rob Harding, our new CFO. And uh, we also, you know, that's complementing to our VP of marketing, Brian Johns. And I think the key thing here is we're really assembling the, the management team, the senior, the, the NEOs, that we need to move the company to the next generation of uh, development or next phase of development. Yeah. So, uh, Irene, as for the HR side, as you know, HR in any business is at least 35% effort that you have to do and you got to build a culture, which we're doing, or yeah. attempting to do. And then, uh, Rob brings a, a wealth of experience from the oil and gas sector, uh, formerly with Athabasca Oil, and uh, he's from startup until uh, publicly traded companies. So as you can well imagine, being a life sciences company, financing is going to become a big part of what we're trying to do uh, going forward. And so as a financing, you know, the, the probability of us, including the possibility of an IPO in uh, sometime in 2021 is a possibility. So we need to get ready for that sort of uh, that change as, a, as an organization. Yeah, and I mean, uh, it's nice to see the emphasis put on HR early on. That's something a lot of companies don't spend enough time on in terms of strategically thinking about that aspect of their direction and how they're going to build the team, but also having somebody dedicated, not just to finding the people, but to maintain the culture. Yeah, the, culture, the, top, the, but culture, the, the culture is the sort of the new way the businesses have to function. It's not any longer just good enough to, you know, come in and show up and get your coffee and do your work and then leave in isolation. It's more of a beehive, a honey beehive, where you have to actually work a collective. And especially in the social media environment that we have, it's more important that you have people engaged with the vision and the purpose and the, and the belief of what they're doing, especially the younger generation, the millennials, they want to feel they're engaged for a purpose and a cause. So everybody that we brought here that came across from Canamet days, the 35 original other people, and we've added to, they've all come because they've had a story or they've had a reason. They want to participate with what the new vision is we're trying to create in trying to advance the science of well-being. So really we're trying to take that, the, the, elevate the cannabinoid uh, research to a new level of where we really think these are going to become standardized in the healthcare system and standardized use in the system. And so we're unfortunately, I guess, revealing new sciences all the time that's really intriguing for our people. So that's what starts the sort of momentum in the culture. But then also a compassion angle that people here really want to make a difference and they want to help their, you know, their, their peers and their friends and their other, the relative people that we have a compassionate center. 
And so from that perspective, then it's really positive that we have that sort of those two initiatives that we're trying to do, you know, forging ahead on the science, but at the same time, having that compassion angle, know that we're really doing it for the ultimately for benefit of patients. Yeah. And you know, that, that's, um, speaks really well to a bit also of your, your background where you started Prairie Plants than Canamed as the evolution with regards to helping people. It started from how do we help people with medicine? And in the past, you grew, transformed, and sold products directly to patients. Sure. Um, where Zayas today is focusing on formulations and final products, but not necessarily as much on the production side. Why is that? And do you see that as being a trend across the industry? Well, I don't know about it being a trend. What it was being honest with ourselves when we restarted again, uh, you know, all the amount of capital that's deployed in Canada already for growing product means that there's a lot of dedicated resources and the money towards the production of, a, of cannabis plants in terms of flower and the herbal products. So from my standpoint, it would seem better to you know, leverage that capital and make sure that you know we teach or we we instruct because we had the, the the tribal knowledge of how to teach people how to grow because that's what we used to do. So when we bring on suppliers, we make sure they have to meet certain standards uh, of growing, and we can educate them of what they can and can't or shouldn't do. So we don't need to have necessarily grow it with margin. So the idea was if we're going to pick up where's the where is the money not being spent was the first question. Where do we right. need to focus the resources? And again, that's risk capital associated with clinical trials or preclinical trials leading to clinical trials. And then also in the manufacturing after the flower. So there was a, you know, even though we have manufacturers, it's manufacturing under a pharmaceutical discipline to make the uh, cannabinoid formulations that we need going forward. Mm -hmm. So, you know, one of the clear differentiators is even though, you know, we start with a cannabis plant as a basis to begin with, once it's harvested, it can go different directions in terms of which markets they're going to, to attract to. Absolutely. In a recreational market, recreational market, the products are you know, they're recreational experience centric, um, but they don't really require the same sort of discipline from a precision for dosing and, and, and uh, that needs to be precise. And when you're dosing something, it has to be really precise and consistent. In a rec experience, it can be a bit more... Uh, a bit, a bit more graduating because the experience is going to be achieved. You know, it's a volume game. It doesn't really require the precision. Most people who are using medicines require it to be, you know, they want to take just enough to manage the symptom and get on with their day. And in a lot of cases for managing pain, it's like 10% of the dose it takes to get to manage a symptom than it does to get to have the experience of being high. So you're taking one tenth of dose, just precisely doing it, microdosing, I can use that word, to get a management symptom. But you're also but taking important. a different combination of cannabinoids yeah. at the same time, right? It's I was just going to say, you're also managing not just THC, you're managing the other other cannabinoids in terms of a formulation. So our focus is on, you know, fixed dose formulations on what we need to have precision. So we pick up the pieces from basically saying, we're going to leverage on the production that's provided, teach the guys that are and, and women uh, that are good at, at growing, the people that are really good at growing, and have them supply to us, and then we'll take it from there and then manufacture these precision-type products, you know, starting with oils and leading into the topicals and leading into capsules, but all with a focus on the constant the materials inside of it, the cannabinoids inside of it, 
and then think about what we have to do from a research perspective as we forge ahead in the clinical work that we're sort of making these discoveries on now. Yeah, no, that makes perfect sense. And that's funny enough, that's the flip side of the coin to where we're, you know, our production, which has just been, uh, we got the GACP certifications just recently. Um, our focus is on the standardization of the production of the plant material and the raw material so that companies such as yours have inputs that are as standardized as possible. And a plant can never be 100% the same from one to one, right. but you can get close enough within a range that as you're making it into, you know, you're running through extraction and through all the various processing, you're able to create that standardized medicine simply and easily, but dependably. Um, and, you know, when you're working with doctors and patients, you know, they depend on that standardization. It's, uh, it's, it is key. Um, and, you know, with that, you know, the, the adoption by physicians and medical practitioners in helping patients is key. Um, but also the change in the usage is coming quickly where smokables was the big marketplace for it was the means by which even medical was being delivered most heavily but we're seeing a shift and we're seeing data that shows that the uh, the market's going to shift over the next 18 months to many more encapsulated products and tinctures that um, really play into the strategy I think you're following how do you look at the the growth and the change in that area well I think for the most part, it's a, if you're looking at a medical accessible product, it has a gravitational pull to standardize delivery methods, right? There's a, just a natural gravitational pull. Now, you know, in 2003, when we first started supplying product to patients, Health Canada only would allow us to supply it as a herbal product for as a smokable. That was all we could do. And that change to make it into an oil didn't come until... January of 2016. Uh -huh. So for 13 years, that was the standard uh, standard form. The only form allowed for Canadians to access cannabis was a smokable form. But if you think in terms of evolution of product, we are moving more and more towards a standardized delivery methods, such as oils, such as tinctures, such as capsules, because people, you know, there's a number of compelling reasons. On the medical side, I can speak to it from this perspective again. That gets precision. You get more precision on the dosing. Once you get into capsules, especially, it gets more and more precise. And so that's number one is, is really folks are, are uh, appreciate the precision, as well do the healthcare practitioners. They like the to predict how much they can take because then they can help the patient meter it in and self-titrate what they need to take. So that's going to become more the norm on the medical side. And the smokables, the other thing we found, we observed when we were doing this, the, the, when we were doing smoke and even vaping, which was a, was a step up, was a proven, was the family members. You know, it was okay in the beginning, but then the family members would start to complain about having to always put up with the smells and the odors of, of smokable cannabis. And it was less so with vaping, but it was the infringement on the, the, the personal well-being, not well-being, but personal preferences, shall we say, of other family members. They didn't want to have to tolerate that, that this was the medicine. So again, I guess if I can use the word discretion, when you get to these more consumable forms, they're more discreet, that seems to be also the gravitational pull. And I can see that happening more and more as we move into a rec strategy. Um, well, let's we come back to that. Let's come back to that again in a moment. We do need to take a break. 
But um, I'd like I'd like to spend a bit more time on that. We're coming back with Brent Settle from Zias, and I'm Richard Zwicky on the Green Peak. I'll be back in a minute. The Green Peak will climb back into your podcast player after we play some messages from our sponsors. Hey, take a look at this. They're selling smart pots. <laughs> they have pot that can make you smart? Where is it? Not that kind of pot. Smart pots are the best aeration container to grow your plants. Check this out. This is the original fabric container for faster producing healthier plants. They're made with a superior fabric that delivers high yields. Plus, smart pots are reusable and sustainable, so you can use them over and over again, no matter if you use them indoor or outdoor. That's very smart, but how good are they for the environment? Smart pots are BPA free and lead free, so you'll always be able to ensure a pure, clean grow, and they're 100% made in the U.S. Over 28 million smart pots have already been sold, so it seems like a smart investment. Look for smart pots and close to 2,000 garden centers throughout North America and ask for the original fabric container. Find a store near you or order yours online at smartpots.com. Elevate your every day with that Shuggies feeling with the sweet taste of Shuggies. Add a cup of Shuggies to your morning coffee. Ah, how sweet it is. Shuggies infuses cannabis and cane sugar to make it the perfect sweetener with benefits. Make your happy hour happier with a dunk of Shuggies in your drink. Order your Shuggies now at S-H-O-O-G-I-E-S dot com or find it in dispensaries throughout California. Whenever you crave a little sweet, pick up Shuggies, the sweet, sweet take-anywhere treat. Climbing our way up, up, up to the Cannabis Summit of Success. Cannabis Radio is back with more of the Green Peak. And we're back. I'm Richard Zwicky with the Green Peak, and we're uh, with Brent Zettel from Zias. And Brent, um, you know, nine months ago or so when we spoke, uh, we were in the middle of the first part of the market meltdown. Well, uh, probably 10 months ago now. And you were, like us, busy raising capital. Um, you've made a lot of progress since then. Um, what do you, you mentioned you're going to be looking potentially at an IPO or a public float in some form next year. Yeah, I think the public markets, especially United States wise, are, are, are going to be opening up in the life sciences sector. Right. Like we're, we're focused on life sciences. And so from our vantage point, it's, we're really trying to bring to bear the discipline that goes with that. And, you know, we, we, you know, we're working with the, the regulatory bodies of both FDA, Health Canada, Intramed, B-Farm, to really try to help to bring some standardization to some formulations that we've identified. And so our goal is to, to be able to leverage that. Obviously, risk capital is going to be required for clinical trials. Um, Absolutely. Every, every new drug product candidate, you know, is going to need $100 million to get to commercialization. So you don't do that from, you know, raising on small ones. We have to look to investors to sort of help to share the potential risk on that going forward. Plus, as a company grows, our other CapEx demands for building all facilities and our, we're finished phase one, we're going into phase two. Now we're going to need phase three shortly after that. As we expand into the global markets, entering into, we, we have on the books 21 countries that we're going into within the next three years. We need to make sure we build up the sales force. We can make sure we build up the the, 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 the sort of the capital required in order to achieve all that. So that's going to require some capital in order to do that. And yeah, I those are daunting you know, tasks. Yeah, daunting. I don't see any other way to do it other than to have a publicly traded vehicle for that. No, and that's that's very true. I mean, I have a fellow I know, um, used to know fairly well, 
and he uh, he started a pharmaceutical company using uh, off the market com- products that the majors had set aside because it didn't meet their minimum threshold of a billion dollar a year market each year for sales. And he identified one of them worked incredibly well for lupus, which was only a 750 odd million dollar a year uh, business opportunity. So he did remarketing around it. And just to get through the first stage of marketing, uh, he needed to raise $88 million. And, you know, I think within three years, he ended up selling his company for 1.3 billion. But that was a product which had been tested, had gone through all the phases, was safe to use, wasn't an issue. And that was just the final cost of marketing the molecule. It's a, it is a daunting task, but, but when you have the molecule that works, you know, it's wide open. And, you know, GW did a lot of work for all of us in terms of paving that way. Yeah. And the problem that I see in the capital markets is the private sector placements now in a, you know, post COVID, you know, in a COVID environment, yeah. Are, are shy. There's a lot of money on the sidelines, but there's mm-hmm. a you know there's there's very little appetite for private sector placements right now. And that's the problem, right? So private, so we're still private. Yep. Private sector placements are really our, our our challenge because you know the whole world now plugged in and again with the social media network, you know private private companies are going to have a hard time finding a short of angel investors coming in. They're going to have a hard time finding raising capital like we are. We're experiencing that ourselves, and even with our experience, right? So, you know, everybody and their dog wants to know that the, you're going to be in some way publicly traded, that there's an exit, and you got to have defined the exit. So private sector placements don't really have a defined exit, and that seems to be the big stumbling block that we're, we're seeing in the industry across the board. They want to see a defined exit within, and it used to be, you know, people think about, well, putting money for five years or eight years as investors. We're moving more and more to our day trader thinking. Yes. So now, you know, now two years is an eternity. I have to keep it. People who have to think about keeping their money locked up for two years seems like an eternity in a private sector play where they want to have the freedom to go back and forth and catch the next big wave that's coming along. So we've moved away from true investing to more day trading thinking. And that in and of itself has been also a, a challenge for us to raise money. So you got you to have a, enough sizzle and enough lift in a short enough period of time that attracts the, the, the investor. Now, interestingly enough, once you have all the right elements – it seems just like it's a momentum thing. Once you have all the right key pieces together, then all of a sudden everybody wants in. Yep. But if you don't have the right elements, nobody wants it. And it just seems to be binary. It, you know, you just hit all the, if you hit all the right chords, then it's all in. If you don't hit the right chords, it's crickets. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, uh, and sometimes it's not possible to predict where that magic step is. It is really hard to predict where it is. You have to be able to hit all the right notes on that thing in order to get it. And you, the only evidence you have is that when they start to pile in and they say, hey, that's a good idea. I want a part of that. And all of a sudden there starts to be this momentum and some competition. And then you have to, you know, then you can, you're oversubscribed. That's when you know you got the right stuff. Leading yep. up to that though, that's a, that's a tough sell. Yeah. I remember one time with one of my companies, somebody referred to it as an overnight success and I had to clarify for them. That's a 10 year overnight success. Right. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> um, so when when you look at going to the public markets, obviously before it was all Toronto, you mentioned that you're looking at the U.S. for the next step, or do you think do a list thing, or how do you look at that going well, forward? Where the where the activity is going? Yeah, where's the activity going to be? It has to be. It's not necessarily cannabis based. 
I mean, we do have cannabis as our formulations, but really our position in the company is we're a life sciences company. We have protein platforms as well. As right. probably are aware, we're doing the, you know, we're working on the antigen for COVID-19 in a plant express system. We have uh, other cytokines that we're doing. So we have other drug product candidates in the pipeline, not just cannabis formulations or cannabinoid formulations. So what the company's position is a life science company focused on, you know, not only the upstream research, but also the downstream clinicals and trying to get products in that are properly have a dinable products. That's the ultimate long-term goal. So where does it make sense to market a company or to, to see where there's an appetite for life sciences, venture funds, and so forth. And, you know, South of the 49th, they understand in the biotech sector, what that means from an investment in, in molecules or in things that are going to go into life sciences. So they understand that space a lot better than the Canadian landscape. Now, it doesn't mean that we're going to ignore the Canadian landscape. It just means that we have to be, we, has a higher probability of seeing something lift off within the United States environment, maybe as a dual listing, but for sure as a priority within the United States to do that. From, a, from our, our strategy with a life sciences thing that happens to be doing cannabinoids as one of the, a couple of the drug product candidates. That's really the position. As opposed to a cannabis company trying to invent, reinvent itself as something new, right? Yep. That's not us. Right? Perfect. Well, Brent, thank you so much for joining us today. I know our listeners are going to uh, find it incredibly informative, and uh, as do I always. And uh, great seeing you again. And look forward to seeing you in person, hopefully, at some point soon, when this uh, COVID allows us to travel and people are interacting. That's right. I look forward to it, Richard. Have a great day. And And thanks to everybody for listening. I'm Richard Zwicky with The Green Peak. opinions expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without proper consent of CannabisRadio.com is prohibited.